This morning in our message, we saw again that there is God's way, and that's based upon God's truth, and there is the world's way, and that is based upon the world's idea, uh, really a perversion of the truth. And we saw this morning, we've seen it many times, that the two ways do not mix. They are not compatible, and they cannot, they do not, and they will not coincide. Now, I want to tell you the problem is uh, we honestly do not believe that. The, the problem is, selfishly, we actually want both of those things. We want to, for some reason, mix those two uh, ideals, those two ideologies. Uh, we want to have and enjoy the things of God, and we somewhat want to have fellowship with God. We, we think, you know what, I want to claim Jesus Christ. I want to have eternal life. I want to have the promise that I'm going to go to heaven and I somewhat want a fellowship with, with Jesus, but at the same time, I would like to have the things of the world. I would like to enjoy the things of the world, and I for sure want fellowship with the world. Now see that? We kind of want a fellowship with Christ. There's times we want to draw close to him, but we for sure at the same time want to have fellowship with the world. We want to have and enjoy the things of the world. Now, here's what we find out in that. Uh, that idea, that, that attempt always causes problems. Uh, that attempt to have one foot in over here and one foot over there, it will not work. Well, tonight I want you to be sure uh, of the two, the two sides. Understand tonight, God's way is based on the truth. It is truth. Christ is the truth. God's way is based on the truth. The world's way is based on a lie or a, or a multitude of lies. Uh, God's way, if you will adhere to that, it will lead you to peace. The world's way, if you will follow that, it will lead you to strife and to conflict. Uh, God's way, the result of following it, uh, the Bible tells us, is light and it ends in freedom. The world's way, it is heavy and it will end in change. God's way, if you follow that, it is joyful. The world's way is shameful. God's way is character building. If you're to walk with God, if you're to walk in obedience, it will build your character. It'll make you more Christ-like. The world's way is character destroying. As you walk in it, you will take on the shape of the world, and it is character destroying. God's way is marked by light. He tells us that the world's way is shrouded in darkness. Think about that. You have to do things in secret. You'd rather not have people know the things that you're doing, and it is shrouded in darkness. God's way is to walk in righteousness, in goodness, in uprightness, and the world's way is to walk in evilness. Be sure I said that this morning. Be sure and understand that. To walk in the way of the world is to walk in evilness. There's no middle ground. If you're walking with the world, you've turned your back on God and you're walking in evilness. Now, you ought to know I'm going to say this next one. God's way is actually the best way to live. Determined by God, given to us in his grace, God's way is actually the best way to live. Listen, I, I can't say that enough. I say it a lot, but it's the best way to order your home. It's the best way to raise your kids. It's the best way to do business. It's the best way to relate to other folks. God's way absolutely is the best way to live. 
And the world's way is absolutely the worst way to live, devised by Satan himself. Do you understand that? The world's way, its architect is Satan himself. And it may look like it has hope. It may look like there's promise. But if you follow it, it will end in trouble. Well, again tonight, God is showing us his wisdom. Now, it seems like a long process. We've been going through the book of Proverbs, but that is what is happening here. God is showing us his wisdom. Really, he is showing us his plan, the best way to live, to honor him, and to be a blessing to us. If you will follow God's wisdom, if you'll take the things that we're learning verse by verse, if you will take them in, if you will apply them, it is the best way to live a life that honors him and is a blessing to us. All right, we're in, in chapter 28. We left off in verse 7. We're going to start back in verse 8. Proverbs chapter 28, beginning back tonight in verse 8, says this, He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. Now, let me explain that. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. Now, what this verse means is how you get your money, how you accumulate your money matters. That's the basic premise of the verse. Uh, we live in a world that says the ends justify the means. People say that all the time. Well, the ends arriving at the goal justifies the means. And so our culture, our world would say, do what you have to do. Uh, compromise if you have to compromise. Take a different route if you have to go a different route. But arrive at the goal. Uh, achieve success. But God says there is integrity in how you do it. Now, first here in the verse we see that there are some who profit, who increase their wealth, by abusing others, by taking advantage of others. Now, that could be a lot of different ways. It's going to give us a specific way here, but these folks increase their wealth. They gain money uh, really abusing others, taking advantage of others. Interest and usury, uh, this is charging an interest rate that is not fair. If the going rate was 3% or 7%, this is, is charging an interest rate that is much higher than that based on the person's dire position. And so there is a person and they need help and they need money and they've got their back up against the wall and you see that. This person sees that. And so instead of doing what is fair, they charge an exorbitant amount of interest getting all they can because they can. And so they take advantage of that other person. And so that's what that's talking about. Because they can, they get all they can, and they take advantage of other folks. Well, the verse says, that person who makes money, who accumulates money that way, is gathering it, is collecting it for the one who is gracious to the poor. Now, that's kind of a weird way to say that. I want to explain it to you. Uh, that person who is taking advantage of others, his, his using their advantage in an unfair way to, to gain wealth, that person is gathering their money, is gathering their wealth for the one who is gracious to the poor. Now, the picture is this. 
the one who honors God in their business, the one who honors God in their dealings, they will end up with all of the money. That's what it's saying. This person gathers it. They do it in an unfair advantage, but they're not going to keep it. It's going to pass on to the person that is gracious to the poor. Because the person who gains their money in a dishonor of God, to God, they will not keep it. That's what the verse is saying. In the long run, they may gather the money. They're not going to keep it. They're not going to be able to hold on to it. And so they're actually gathering it for the person who's going to do the right thing, who's going to do it in the right way. Here's the truth. How you do business matters before God. How you treat others in your dealings, it matters before God. How you acquire wealth, it matters before God. You do it in a way that doesn't take advantage of others. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. Verse 9. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Listen to that. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. All right, here's the deal with verse 9. God values obedience. God has taught us in our study, he blesses obedience. The Bible actually tells us how we show God that we love him and the extent that we do love him is shown through our obedience. And so I want you to see this. Obedience is a big deal. It, it is how we show God how much we love him. It, it is valued by God. It is blessed by God. Well, here's what the world says. And I think if we're not careful, it's what we start to say. We start to say, well, obedience doesn't really matter. Well, not, not to that great extent. Does it really matter? Isn't God going to forgive? Isn't that what the, the covenant we have in the New Testament, his, his graciousness to us, isn't he always going to forgive? It really doesn't matter. It's about your heart. And I hear folks say that all that all the time. It's about your heart. It's, it's about your heart. I hear people say, well, when you get into trying to teach obedience, you're going to go down a road of legalism. And that's what the Pharisees would do. And so we don't want to get into legalism and we don't want to get into to rule keeping. And I hear folks say, it's not about rules. It's about a relationship. Well, I want to tell you the truth of the scripture is this. Our relationship with Christ, and it is a relationship built on the grace of God, but our relationship with Christ propels us and inspires us and motivates us to live in obedience. How serious is God about obedience? I think if we're, if we're honest, we can get very flippant about it, but how serious is God about obedience? Is he serious about obedience? Well, here's what he says. He says the one who has no concern for the word of God, the one who has no concern for the directing of God, he says, even their prayer is an abomination. Now, let me explain what that means. That word abomination, it's hated before God. It means this, even their prayer, 
This person, they don't care what God says, and they don't care about walking in obedience, and they take that lightly. They think God does as well. This verse says, even their prayer is hated. It is an abomination. Now, I want to be very clear here. Hated by who? It's hated by God. It's not hated by the preacher, by the church somewhere. Their prayer, they've disregarded walking in obedience. They don't care what God has said. It says even their prayer is hated by God. Now, we need to understand this. Sin always breaks fellowship with God. Sin always separates from God. Even for a believer. In the New Testament, there's a couple different places. And the picture is of a father and a son. God chooses to use that example. He chooses to relate to us in that matter. Well, I want you to think about that picture. Imagine if there were a son, if there were a child, and all week long they ignored their father. And he says something, they don't even look at him. He says something, they don't heed it. They're not even listening to it. Now, maybe they got those earbud deals in their ears, and they're not, they're not even going to look over in his direction. And all week long, they ignore their father. If they do hear what he says, they roll their eyes. That crazy old man, he doesn't know anything. And they roll their eyes. And all week long, they disobey their father. He says, do this, they don't do it. He says, do it this way, they do it a different way, or they don't do it at all. And they straight up disobey their father all week long. They dishonor their father. They go to town and they do things that slander the family's name. They do things that are, that are a disgrace to the family name and they dishonor their father and they are rude and they're inconsiderate and they're demeaning of the house and demeaning of the parents. Imagine if that son shows up Friday about 6 o'clock and says, Dad, I need $50 for gas. There's some, there, I takes the earbuds out, puts them in his pocket and says, there's some kids, we're going over to do something, and I'm going to need $50 for gas. How do you think the father relates to that son? Does he love him? Yes, he loves him. Is he hurt by him? Surely he's hurt by him. Today, listen, people who have decided to operate in sin and to live in sin and to tell God in their actions, I'm not worried about what you've told us. In fact, I think I've got a better way than what you've told us. I watch, they sometimes come in and they say, well, can we pray for this situation? Well, I, I don't care what God says about marriage. I'm not going to marry this lady. I'm going to live with her. I don't care what God says about a home. I'm not going to establish one. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what God says about honoring his name when I care at places. I'm going to do what I want to do. But can we pray about this? Here's what the Bible says. God hates your disobedience so much. It is a, it is a thumb in his eye. He even hates your prayer. So what the Bible says, obedience is a big deal to God. Obedience is a way that we can be blessed as we walk in the truth of God. Now, I want to be sure as I preach that, that sounds like another hard thing, but I want to tell you this. God is quick to forgive. He is. And if, you, if you'll confess your sin, he loves repentance. He blesses repentance. You know that? There's never been a repentant person that he hasn't dusted them off, that he hasn't restored them. There's never been a repentant person that he's turned his back on. No sin is too great. Our God is gracious, but I want to tell you this. He calls for obedience. Verse 9 again. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law 
even as prayers and abomination. Verse 10. He who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. He who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. Here's what I've noticed. People in sin like other people to join them in that sin. You ever notice that? People that are in sin, they want you to join them. They, they, want, they want you to come and sin with them. People that have fallen, you know what they like? They like other people to fall with them. And maybe they'll trip them so they will fall with them. People that have fallen down, they, they, they want other folks to fall with them. Bible says people who lead others into sin, it says who lead them astray. Now I want to think about that word for a second. Lead them astray. It is the idea that you pull them to the side. It's an idea of a little bit and then a little bit more. And so you, you lead them astray. You, you take them off the path of righteousness. You take them off the path of a, of a correct walk with Christ. And a little by a little by a little, you lead them astray. The person that does that, they will fall into their own pit. That's what it says. They've got a pit that's full of sin and rot and evilness. That person leading others astray they will fall into their own pit. And they will end up in a pit, in a mire, in a mess of evilness. It says, but the blameless will inherit good. But the blameless will inherit good. Now, let me tell you this. Here's the point, I believe. We should not, as a Christian, only be concerned for our Christian walks. Now, listen, we should be concerned about our Christian walk. We should be careful with it. We should be diligent in it. We should be faithful to it. We ought, we ought to be concerned about our Christian walk. But I want to tell you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we should be also faithful to help others in their walk. Do you see that's why we're in the community of the church? That's why he places us together? Yeah, we ought to be faithful with our walk, but we ought to be concerned and be faithful to help others walk. We ought to encourage them in their walk. We ought to think about ways to build them up as they walk. We ought to help guide them in their walk. We ought to walk with them. Hey, you look over, I'm right beside you. We're going to go together. Part of that, we ought to remove barriers that would hinder their Christian walk. We ought to lead them away from the pitfalls that would snare them, that would pull them into dangerous areas as they walk with Christ. And I want to tell you, on top of all that, we ought to be extra careful not to cause them to stumble. And so listen, I'm going to help, I'm going to build up, I'm going to encourage, I'm going to try to remove any barrier, any potential danger I'm going to try to tell you about, but I'm going to be extra careful that I do not cause you to fall even inadvertently cause you to fall. Let me tell you this. People are watching you in your Christian walk. Well, I don't have that many friends. Well, I don't get out that much. Well, I'm pretty old. Well, I'm pretty young. Well, I'm married. I'm in my married life. Well, I'm single. People are watching you. Hey, you've claimed to follow Jesus Christ. You, you, you're here in this church service tonight. You're listening some other way. 
People are watching you. They're watching what you say. They're watching what you do. They're watching how you live. And you know what? You can say, well, don't watch me. Don't watch me. Listen, I don't care. They're watching you. They're watching you. And the Bible says this, woe to the one who is careless, woe to the one who is deliberate and leads others astray. Verse 10 again, he who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. Verse 11, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. It starts off with the rich person. Now listen, it's not against rich people. We, we see that. It's not against rich people, but this rich person, it says that they are wise in their own eyes. Now, I think being wealthy helps add to this attitude, but here's what this rich person thinks. They think they did it. They think that it was their wisdom. They think it was their smarts. They think it was their strength. And that grows in them. Here, oh, I did all this, and I put all this together. Look at all that I've got. And that grows, and they start to think they know better than everybody else. You know what, I don't need to listen to them. I don't need to learn anything else. And they start to think they're, they're smarter than everyone else. And that grows again. And they think they do not even need God's wisdom. You know what, I might turn to God somewhere when I die, but I'm going to live. I don't need his wisdom. I'm strong. I'm smart. I will do it on my own. And then it says there is this poor person. Now, it's not saying the goal is to be poor, but sometimes there's a better perspective that we see when we are poor. And it says this poor person has understanding. And what that means is they have godly wisdom. They have godly discernment. And it says that they see through this other person. This person acts like they've got it all together. They do not need the wisdom of God. This person sees their arrogance and sees the folly of their attitude. Let me tell you this. Sometimes we mistake worldly success for godly wisdom. Well, they've done well, and that must mean they're, they, they've, got, they've got godly wisdom. That's not so at all. Verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. Verse 12. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. Here's what verse 12 is saying. It is good for the good, godly, righteous person to succeed. Now, I, I thought about the different levels in your home, uh, in, our, in, our, in our local business, our local economy, uh, in, our, in our giant political scene. When there is a good, godly, righteous person and they succeed, it says people celebrate. People are glad, especially when it comes to leadership. A good leader, when they win, people are glad, and there is rejoicing. But it tells us the other side of that. But when the wicked rise, when the wicked win, it says men hide themselves. 
That means they head for the hills. They make themselves scarce. Let me tell you this. Here's, here's the truth. And you can start on a small scale and just get to a bigger scale. An evil spouse, guess what you're about to have? Bad life. An evil boss. You got an evil boss. You know what you're about to have? If you don't change it, you're about to have a bad career. An evil king, an evil leader, you're going to have a bad life. They will abuse you and they will cause you trouble. A good, godly, gracious person, when they win, the people rejoice. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. We're going to end on verse 13. Verse 13 is an important verse. It is a big verse for us to understand. There is a great lesson for us to carry out of here tonight in verse 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Now, I want you to understand there's two things at least going on in this verse. The first is this. Understand, this is the center of our gospel. It, it, is, it is also the center of, a life, of the life of a person who still sins. If you've trusted Christ and you still sin, that's us. It's also at the center of our life as well. Now, let me explain those two things. The first thing is this. Understand this. When are we saved? When are we saved? When are you saved? When was I saved? Let me tell you when we're saved. We're saved when we see our sin. That's the starting place. You have to see your sin. When we are sorrowful over our sin. You know what? I hate my sin. I regret my sin. I'm tired of the shame of my sin. So I have seen my sin. I understand it. I'm sorrowful over my sin. And then in response, I turn to Christ as the remedy for my sin. I try to work it off, it doesn't work. I try to hide it, I can't hide it. I try to forget it, I can't put it out of my mind. So I've got a sin problem, and it's seeing my sin, knowing my sin, regretting my sin, I turn to Christ as the remedy for sin. When I do that, here's what the Bible says, I am forgiven, I am restored. The verse says we see compassion. And so this verse, it's the heart of the gospel. We see our sin, we hate our sin. We turn to Christ for the remedy of our sin. And when we do, we find compassion. Let me tell you this, and we, we need to preach this. If you do not understand sin, you cannot be saved. And I think, man, that's a hard statement. Are there things you can say, well, if this isn't there, you're not saved. Let me tell you this. If you do not understand sin, you cannot be saved. Let me tell you something else. If you do not own up to your sin, you cannot be saved. You see, being saved is taking Christ in faith as the remedy for your sin. If you think, well, you know what, I'm not that bad. I hadn't done as bad as that person's done. If you will not own up to your sin, you cannot be saved. I'll go one step further. If you're not sorrowful and regretful for your sin, you will not be saved. There's no motivation to turn to Christ. If you're not sorrowful, regretful over your sin, understanding him as the Savior for sin. I, I see today, and it's a growing thing, 
churches, preachers, pulpits, and people have decided they're not going to talk about sin. There's churches that say, we're not going to talk about sin. There's preachers that say, you know what, I'll let somebody else talk about sin. There's churches all over that say, you know what, we're going to talk about some things, but we're going to stay away from the subject of sin. Let me tell you this. If you do not understand sin, and if you do not talk about sin, people will not be saved. People are saved when they see their sin, turn to Christ as the remedy for their sin. Now I want you to listen to verse 13 in that light. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. So the first thing we see, this verse is the heart of the gospel, how we turn, why we would turn, who we understand Christ to be, it's the heart of the gospel for a lost person. But I want to tell you there's a greater lesson than this. And it's for us who have been saved. Are you saved? Yes. Do you know who Christ is? Yes. Well, this is the lesson for us that still sin. And I'll tell you, we, we have great intentions, and, and we pray for Christ's empowerment, and we try, but I'm going to tell you something. We still sin. And this is, the, this is the remedy for a person that knows Christ and wants to walk with Christ and to stay in fellowship, deep fellowship with Christ, and yet finds themselves still sinning. Here's the remedy for us. It's the same remedy. Let me tell you the lesson. Here's the lesson. If you are a Christian and you sin, if you hide your sin, let me tell you what's coming, trouble. If you overlook your sin, there's trouble coming. If you avoid the fact that you have sin, I just, I just won't ever go back there. There's trouble. And let me tell you about this. If you decide I'm going to hide my sin, I'm going to overlook my sin, I'm going to explain away my sin, I'm going to avoid the topic of my sin, that is going to grow in your life. And that is going to brew in your life. And I want to tell you, it's going to hurt you. And it is going to hurt you. And I'll just tell you this, it is going to hurt other people as well. Sin always hurts other people. And so you know what? You're a believer and you have sinned. And if you decide to hide that or explain it away or not address that, you're going to pay for that. You're going to hurt in that. You're going to hurt other people in the process. That is the truth. But let me tell you the, the other side of that, and that is this. But if you confess it, if you own up to it, now what that means is this. It's to say, I did it. That's a hard thing. I did it. I have sinned. Some of your sin monitors are going off right now. I hear them out there. You own up to it. I did it. I sinned. It's mine. If you'll confess your sin... It says forsake it. The word for forsake here it means to abandon, to leave. I, I think about that. Sometimes we want to confess our sin, but for some reason we want to stay with our sin. So it's not enough to say, that's a sin. I wish I had none of it. I've got a sin problem, but I'm going to stay here with that sin. I'm going to gravitate closely around that sin. It is to abandon that sin, to leave that sin. And so if you will confess your sin and you will abandon your sin, it says this, you'll find compassion. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. What is it to confess and abandon? It's to repent. The answer for a lost person is repent turn to Christ. The answer for a saved person, repent and turn to Christ. When you do, the Bible says this, you will find compassion. 
You will find forgiveness and you will find resolution. That is the formula for a person deciding to walk with Christ. Oh, I have sinned. Oh, I've got to turn and admit that sin, reject that sin, and walk away from that sin, walking back with Christ. Now, that is the formula. That is the truth, and it holds true. When you do that, you'll find forgiveness. You'll move forward in reconciliation. Here's the part I want to add to that. And it it took me 52 years to get here. Uh, If I'd have been smarter, I probably could have done it faster. I'm not that smart. Uh, maybe, Maybe you've realized this. Maybe you're going to hear it right now for the first time. Here's what I would add to that. And the sooner the better. The sooner the better. The faster you address sin, the better it is. Let me tell you this. If you're in the act of sin and you say this is a sin and you step back and you confess it and turn away from it, it is better. The sooner the better. Do not wait. Start the process. I I know the shame of sin and the the grossness of sin. As fast as we sin, we become defensive. We start the process of covering it up, and we start the process of avoiding it. Here's the deal. I can promise you this. The faster you deal with sin, the faster you will find relief and peace and move forward from that sin. As a believer, you want to know what Christian maturity is? It is to address sin very quickly. Verse 13 again. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. During Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. I'm thankful that you give us your word. I'm thankful that you give us your truth. I'm thankful that you're gracious to us, leading us to the best way to live as a a parent, as a grandparent, as an employee, as a business owner, as a retired person, as a church member, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we take these truths tonight, that we ponder them, that we consider them, that we are built and we're shaped by them. And then, Lord, I come to that last one. I'm thankful that for a sorry sinner who has rebelled against Christ, we find relief when we turn from our sin and turn to Christ. I pray for some that may not know you. I pray that they would turn to you, hearing of the gracious Savior, the remedy for, for sin. Lord, I pray for us that are walking with you and still sin, who still fall short, who still mess up. I pray, Lord, that we'd be quick to do the same, to repent to turn, to leave, and to turn back and walk with you. And I pray, Lord, that we are learning. And Lord, I pray for the youngest kid here that we are learning to do it quickly and to get out from under it and to, to start a process of restoration and walking with you. Help us in that. Lord, I pray for those in our church that are ill tonight. Uh, many folks, you know them. Uh, some folks in, in serious ways, I, I know you know them. I hold them up to you. I pray for some that have lost folks with funerals coming up this week, some from last week. I pray for peace and comfort for them. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray that you would grow it in number, that you would grow it in truth, that you would grow it in influence. I pray that you would stand in the center of it, that we would acknowledge your, your leadership there. And I pray that we would carry a great impact. I pray for homes 
Tonight, I pray for, for parents tonight. I pray for kids tonight. I pray for lost folks in our community, Lord, that they may rail against it. They may, they may spurn it, but they need a Savior. They need hope. I pray that we'll be a gracious beacon of that hope. Lord, we finish this Lord's Day by saying you are king and you are savior and you are worthy and we exalt you. And I pray in Jesus' name.